Welcome, everybody, to Crystal Kyle and Friends. Today, we're going to be talking to uh, Double K, the That's clipster, right. Ken Klippenstein. Yeah, a lot of Ks in the show today. Yeah, a lot of Ks in the show. Very racist show. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I was a kid, people would ask me, what's your middle name? Mm. I'm like, don't worry, it's not it's not Kevin. Safe. We're good. Yeah, good. we're good. Uh, I assume uh, Ken's in the same boat as me. But anyway, uh, we want to talk to him. He's got a lot of inside sources at the intelligence agencies, and we want to get the inside scoop as to what's going on with the FBI raid of Trump. Yes. What it's all about. Yes. Uh, this whole week since this broke, Ken is the person that I have most wanted to talk to to get his view of, you know, he has sources that aren't at the the highest level. He actually talks to the rank and file guys at the FBI and at the CIA. And so he gets that sort of like inside view from the ground up and is very well sourced. And he's also one of the people who has done the best job of digging into some of the like Trump-Saudi connections. He's long told me, you know, when you're looking for the sort of like nefarious connections, there's too much time spent on Russia and not nearly enough time spent on Saudi. So there's been some speculation, including from the two of us, that potentially there could be a Saudi connect here in terms of why he kept the documents. I want to see what he thinks of that. There's, I have lots of questions about classified documents and how all of that works. So a lot to get into with him. So before we get into that, though, Liz Cheney, a uh, large L. Big L. <laughs> she took a large L, yeah. didn't she? Which what was the final? I think it was like 37 maybe? points. Yeah, something like that, mm -hmm. which I guess was foreseeable. She won two counties in the state, both counties that Biden won. Um, mm -hmm. So, and, you know, I, I don't think this was any surprise to her or anybody else. Her final campaign ad was all about like, anti-Trump, January 6th, et cetera, et cetera, which if you're trying to win a Republican primary, probably not the strategy. So it's pretty clear from the end of her campaign that she was setting herself up for whatever was going to come next. So my first question for you is, do you, like, we? okay, 93% of the time she votes with Trump. Right. So in terms of the actual voting record, horrendous. I would go as far as to say evil. She's pro-torture. She's in favor of every single war I've yeah. ever I, in my lifetime, right? So yeah. across the board, terrible. But do you have, based on the fact that she sort of lit her political career on fire in mm -hmm. front of the world, do you have respect that she took a stand on this one issue, which admittedly is a very important issue? Yeah, I do. I mean, again, I think she's a terrible person. I think the idea she said in her concession speech that she was like like Lincoln, she basically <laughs> compared herself to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> like, come on. And we also shouldn't ignore the fact that once you cross that bridge and you're no longer with Trump and you decide to be against him, there's also, you know, career paths on that side as well. If you MSNBC, want to lean into the resistance lib thing, CNN, there is definitely a path for you there. She could easily get a CNN contributor gig. She could easily go and be a lobbyist. She could easily go and sit on like a defense contractor board. So I don't want to go too crazy with praising her, but you know, I there are a million reasons to despise Liz Cheney. And the one thing that was like decent that she did in office is the thing that ends up getting her bounced yeah. out of office. And let's be clear, this person who whose name I don't even remember, which kind of tells you something, what this was ultimately all about. It was just about Trump and Liz Cheney's feelings towards Trump. Um, is going to vote exactly the way Liz Cheney. It's not like this person has a better ideology in any way that we should be like, yes, this is going to be an improvement. Well, yeah, well, I would say it's actually worse because she's just as bad as Liz on all the policies. Yeah, then and then the one area totally where she disagrees Trump. Yeah. is like Trump should be an emperor. 
mm-hmm. like Trump should, the, you know, election shouldn't yeah. apply to him. He should be able to do whatever he wants. Yes. Um, so, but now she's out there, not exactly swatting aside the idea of running for president. In fact, she's sort of flirting with it and embracing it. And she's dropping these little hints all over yeah. the place. So my understanding of it originally, or my thought on it originally was, oh, she's going to run as an independent uh, for the purpose of taking 3%, 4%, 5% from Trump in the general election to to serve as a spoiler to hand it over to the Democrat. That was my original thought on it. Then you had brought up to me, well, hold on now, with everything she's been talking about recently, like all she talks about is January 6th. All she talks about is Trump being bad. And so it's not even a guarantee she would take mostly from Republicans. Well, I wouldn't you even might say, even get resistance liberals who I, I wouldn't even say it's not a guarantee. I would say it's, in my view, a near certainty that she would take more votes in the resistance lib lane because her approval rating is so much higher with Democrats at this point than it is with Republicans. In fact, even in that Republican primary, her last ditch effort in order to win was to send mail out to Democrats to say, here's how you can switch your registration to be a Republican to vote in the Republican primary. Yeah, but so, how'd that work? Well, it's Wyoming. So obviously- now, I know, but my point, is, my point is the resistance liberals, I think they all, most of them, the overwhelming majority of them have Liz in perspective where they're like, like I was listening to uh, Sirius XM Progressive Talk Radio the other day. They're all resistance liberals, except maybe Tom Hartman, who's the goat and I love that guy. But, but they all said the same thing. I don't like Liz Cheney. She's wrong on everything. You know, I never vote for for president, but, you know, props for lighting your career on fire to take a principled stand on this thing involving Trump. So my point is, it might be like a 50-50 type deal where if she runs, she does take some from the right and some from the left. But but it's a moot point anyway, because that then she would just have no impact. Right. So tell me what you're because I thought, oh, if she runs, she's going to run as an independent and try to serve as the spoiler effect to help the Democrat. Uh, It looks like that's not what she would do if she runs, that she'd actually try to run as a Republican, right? Yeah, that's what that's what seems to be what she's flirting with, where the goal would be to run in the Republican primary, not with the thought, I don't think she's so delusional to think she could beat Trump head to head. Right. And there have been some billionaires, Reed Hoffman's guy floated that Reed would, you know, back her in such a scenario. I don't think they're so delusional to think that she could actually beat Donald Trump. But they're thinking, okay, we could get her on a debate stage with him. We could get her some money. So she's running ads, hitting the sky on January 6th and whatever other case she wants to make against him. And that might ding him up so that he's easier to defeat in the general election. I think that's generally the thought. Now, go ahead. You tell me your No, I, I, you finish. Well, I know I what you're going to say. say. There's, a, there's a couple of problems with that. The chief one being that, you know, Republicans are not, the the Republican elite apparatus is not going to want Liz Cheney to be on stage with Donald Trump and they control it. So all they have to do, and Ron Brownstein wrote this down actually in The Atlantic, all they have to do is force all the candidates to sign a loyalty pledge saying, whoever wins the Republican primary, I'm going to back. Obviously, Liz Cheney is not going to back Donald Trump. She's even said she wouldn't back uh, Ron DeSantis. So she's not going to sign that pledge. They can say, okay, you didn't sign the pledge, so we're not letting on the stage, and that's that. So I think she might have, in that scenario, she may be blocked from getting on the debate stage altogether. So we have a potential disagreement on this because I disagree with the statement the Republican elite apparatus doesn't want Liz Cheney on the stage because I'm 100% convinced there's a public position and a private position among the establishment Republicans. And Mitch McConnell's the best example of this. Publicly, he'll say whatever he has to say, say to save his political ass about Trump. But privately, he's like, gotta go. He's hurting us. He's gotta go because they think we can't win a general election with this guy. Yeah. So if that's the case and there's like almost like a 
a Republican establishment deep state war behind the scenes mm-hmm. to try to like, let's get Liz Cheney on that stage. Oh, no, we got to keep Liz Cheney off that stage. That'll be very interesting. I would love to see how that unfolds. But see, I think that Trump has already stacked the RNC with his people. And I was reading that their fundraising apparatus is really tied up with him as well. So, I mean, last time around, there were some flirtations with, I don't know, Mark Sanford and some other people who were pretending like they were going to make some hopeless run against Trump. And the party was like, no, we're with Trump. We back him. He's going to be the nominee and we're not really going to have a process. And that's that. See, I... Okay, I just I'm not I'm more convinced than you are that this situation is fluid and not stagnant and Trump facing like 412 different lawsuits and some are criminal, some are civil and all these different things. They're not idiots like they know a guy who's indicted by the FBI and or going to be found guilty of criminal charges we can't win with him in the general. So they're going to they're going to try to save their own asses, the party's ass. And if that means amputating Trump, they're going to try to do that. Now, it's going to be a war, but they're going to try to do that. I don't buy this notion that they're all. Yes, publicly, they're in lockstep behind the scenes. They're panicking and trying to figure out a way to rid themselves of this guy. I think it's a mixed bag. I think definitely some of the donor class feels that way. I think, you know, Mitch McConnell and sort of his allies certainly feel that way. But. Trump has done a lot to mold this party in his image at the national level and at the state level. I mean, you see in Arizona, you see them censoring anyone who goes against and knocking out in primaries, anyone who said, yes, actually, Biden did win here in Arizona. You saw that in Wyoming, Liz Cheney getting kicked out of the party even before she lost the primary, her being censored by the Wyoming party. So you see this in state after state where Trump loyalists have taken control of the party apparatus. And so if the establishment types, the Mitch McConnell types, were going to take this away from him. Like, I think that ship has sailed. That was that was back in 2016. Maybe they had a better shot to sort of coalesce and do something then. Now he has so much power and so much control in the party. It's going to be very difficult to do anything other than what he wants. And the other thing I would say is like, just like the Democrats, we see very clearly that, yeah, they want to win, but that's not their only goal. It's the very same thing with the Republicans, too. They're looking individual to say individually to save their own asses. And it's very clear, based on the track record thus far, that the best way to do that is by cozying up to Trump and doing whatever he wants you to do. So in the scenario that Liz Cheney actually does get in the debates. Yeah. I think that'd be very interesting. I'd like to, to watch see. it. I'd absolutely like to watch it. Because here's the thing about Liz Cheney. And again, war criminal, pro-torture, voting record is evil, just praise Roe versus Wade being overturned. I can go on and on. There's, right. I, there's, I don't know if she's ever taken a vote that I agreed Wait, with. Did you, did you, do you agree with me that it was like admirable or courageous or whatever, however you want to put it, what she did with- uh, what, My term. line on this has yeah. always been, this is literally the one issue where she's correct. Yeah. And the fact that she was willing to torture her own political career for it um, is, I, I do think that that's, that you don't find many people who are willing to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I, there is- in terms of how she presents, she's actually very similar to her dad. Uh, so ice water running through her veins. She's never felt Probably a single her heart too. She's never felt a single <laughs> emotion in her life. Right. And so I could like that very deadpan delivery where she's direct and to the point. There's not very many very there's not flowery language around Liz Cheney. She just like speaks very plainly. And somebody like that who literally has nothing to gain from Trump on a stage with Trump is an interesting dynamic because all the other guys, when they were on the stage with Trump and Trump steamrolled them back in 2016, mm-hmm. Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, Ted Cruz, all of those little sycophants, they needed to make sure, like he, that guy was leading in the polls. 
So they, 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 you know, they didn't know how to attack him. Do I go right for the jugular? Or do I not? Because they needed to have one foot in the camp, one foot out of the camp, just in case, hey, this guy wins. I want to have a future, et cetera, right? Right. That's, that's not the situation for Liz. And Trump has never, I mean, they always say the way to stand up to a bully is like somebody needs to directly stand up to the bully to yeah. let them know, like, bitch, you ain't all that. Also, in those uh, debates, I mean, just they had no idea how to handle this guy. I mean, they'd never seen anything like the way he was in a debate. Remember, they tried all these different things, Marco Rubio trying to, like, you know, compare dick sizes and call him little Donald and all that stuff. Like, they just did not know how to handle him whatsoever. So there were there were only a handful of times where they figured it out, but it was way too late. And... It was Mar- actually Marco Rubio was one of them who figured it out towards the end. He was already out of it. His numbers were terrible. It was towards the end. So he sort of went on a kamikaze mission and he he started basically talking with Trump as if they were two guys in a bar. And he was like, you know, if Trump was an asshole. He was a massive asshole back to him. And it worked. He got, you know, some loud applauses and loud cheers and things like that. But it was already too late for him. And then the other time Chris it was Christie Chris Christie, him. but it wasn't Chris Christie going after Trump. It was Chris Christie on behalf of Trump going after Marco Rubio. And destroying him. Yeah. But Chris Christie was very, you know, he was also like very buttoned up and and too proper for the first 75% of his run. And then when he was already losing, he decided, you know, let Chris Christie be Chris Christie. And he started to be an asshole just like Trump. And so I think they they learned it later on, but it was already too late. And um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'd like to see it. I'm obviously needless to say, Trump is still the favorite. You and I had a discussion about this recently. Uh, you know, my my opinion is he's a 60% chance of winning. Yeah, uh, but significantly more than that. I don't because you got to realize all these cases are heating up now and they're legit. Trump's CFO pleading guilty yeah, and flipping on the Trump see, organization, the Georgia case, the FBI case. In the this general is real. election, I agree with you. But we also see already what's the impact of the FBI raid. His poll numbers with the base have gone Crystal, up. Crystal, my point is <laughs> he might end up in jail. Yeah, is and my they point. might still vote for him from jail. I mean, I legitimately think that that is a possibility. That would literally literally be the most hilarious thing I've ever seen in American history. If the Republican Party votes for a man who's literally sitting in a jail cell and then gets him to the general and then he gets shellacked, even fucking Kamala Harris would beat Trump if he's in jail. <laughs> jail cell. I know, but I know I, I do not put it out of the realm of possibility right. at this point in our politics. Well, so, there you go. Listen, my general theory of the Republican Party and actually of a lot of the Democratic Party too is he has made himself the sole dividing line. So even if you've built up credibility with the MAGA base, look at Mike Pence. He did every freaking thing that they wanted him to do in like the most disgusting, feeble way for four years. Remember Trump would have those like round tables where he made everybody like tell him how amazing he was and Mike Pence was the greatest bootlicker of all time. The minute that he did one thing, they didn't want him to do and stop the steal, Trump turns on him and it's like, hang Mike Pence. And now he's done. He's dead to them. He's a rhino. So Trump is the only issue and how you stand on him is the only issue in the Republican Party. So definitionally, the minute that you decide you're going to oppose him in a primary, the minute you're dead to a large portion of the Republican base. So that's why I'm so skeptical of the idea that someone could beat him at this point. All right. Well, we'll see. Um, So I there's this video that's been circulating around. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. I want to see it. You guys will get my, you know, in real time reaction to it. You already covered this on mm-hmm. Breaking Points, yep. but apparently Rogan argued with somebody about uh, abortion and it got heated. Yes. Okay, let's go ahead and take a look. 
you don't have the right to tell my 14-year-old daughter she has to carry her rapist baby. You understand but to that? To look that woman in the eye who's, who was the but born listen, of a rapist. Do you understand that? That's a 14-year-old child. I if you, a 14-year-old child gets raped, you say that they have to carry that baby? I don't think two wrongs make a right. I don't think that's murder, not, I don't I don't think think murder is an answer to... I don't think murder fixes a rape. What if we're talking about an abortion when the fetus... Like, literally, it's like six weeks, four weeks, three days... What if she just turned positive just now, positive for pregnancy? I don't. I, well, I just disagree that. What you if can, it just happened today? You can like draw a line on when you can't. Like, once life so you has can't begun, do, I don't at think you the draw very lines. moment. I would lay it out like this. I would say, it is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human life. Abortion intentionally kills an innocent human life. Therefore, abortion is wrong. And I don't think any of the, I don't think any of the examples of like, oh well, how developed is it? You know, can it can it think? Is it conscious? Can it dream? Can it feel pain? So for you, it's the moment of conception. I think that if it's a, if it's a human life, an indis- a distinct human life, then I think it's wrong to, to end its life. Um, and so you think that even, once, do you think that like once the conception happens, there's some sort of a miraculous event, like at the very moment, like you could literally get to the point where the sperm cracks the egg. If you could scoop that egg out right there, would that be abortion? Well, I mean, at some point, you're going to have to say there was a magic moment that happened because you believe that we eventually become valuable humans, right? So what do you think? I wish that went on because it seemed like he was coming in hard at the beginning and then towards the end, he was just trying to feel out what this guy's actual position was. I think that's beneficial, though, because letting this guy explain just how, like, radical and wild his views on this are is enough. Well, he's just honestly what he's doing is he's just taking it to its logical conclusion. Yeah, I know. It, you know, of you know, I'm pro-life. Well, when does life begin? Well, the moment of conception. So the by that logic, the sperm cracks the egg. By that logic, pretty much the second you're done having sex, there's a third person in the room with full constitutional rights. Uh, I mean, that that's the idea. So and and here's why, of course, this is a massive problem. People don't need me to explain this, but when you're talking about a gamete or a zygote or a pregestation fetus, or you're talking about, you know, somebody taking the morning after pill or something, intuitively people grasp, that's a fucking murder. Yeah. What are you, a psycho? Yeah. That's ob- that is literally categorically different. That's why we have different words to describe those things. That's why a gamete is a thing and a zygote is a thing and a pregestation fetus is a thing and viability later on. Like, that's a thing. We have these terms for a reason. And, but what people are, are now catching on to is the fact that the way that this guy thinks is now impacting the real world in a way in this country it hasn't in decades because we had that story coming out of, oh, I think it was Ohio, Ohio a 10-year-old rape mm-hmm. victim. Now, by the way, when that story dropped, the right started just denying the story. They were like, that's not real. Come to find out, they arrested the guy and it was real. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's how you know your position sucks is right. that when the story comes out, you can't even, if you accept the facts of the story, you look like a massive monster. That's how you know your position is ridiculous. You you can't handle the real-world repercussions of the position that you are actively advocating for. Correct. But credit this guy. At least he embraces his insanity. By the way, this is uh, he's with the Babylon Bee. That's who this is. Of course. I love how... Yeah, it's it's funny. Like, conservative comedy... struggles, I think. Maybe there's a little bit of it here and there that's funny, but mostly I don't think it's funny. And because at the core of it usually is beliefs like that. So if that's your if that's your framework from where you start, then you're usually not going to end up in very funny places. But I covered a story the other day, uh, a skullless baby, or excuse me, a skullless fetus, a woman is being forced to give birth to a skullless fetus in Louisiana. She has two weeks to decide either to go to Florida and get an abortion or just give birth to a 
Uh, give a stillbirth. I, I cannot imagine how traumatizing that would be. So that this is the logic horrific. of, of that the, position. And this, I, I don't know anything about this. I saw the story as well. I don't know anything specific about this woman, but you know, this may well be an instance where, you know, she really wanted a baby. She really wanted a family and to be forced in this cruel way to carry this baby that, you know, is, is never going to live to term is horrific. There was also a story in Florida. You, I don't know if you saw this one of a 16 year old who doesn't have parents. So she would need parental consent in order to get an abortion. So she had to go to a judge and, you know, say, here I am. I'm, you know, have to make this decision for myself because I don't have parents. And the judge said, no, you're not mature enough to make the decision to have an abortion for yourself. But you're mature With, enough to raise the kids? That's the implication, isn't it? I, it it's, this is, it's so obnoxious. It, it really it is. It is so really obnoxious. Is. I want to take, I want to particularly uh, zero in on what he says there about like, well, there has to be a miraculous event that happens at some point where you say, okay, now this is a human life. And he's, he can, he's totally correct that it can be difficult to figure out exactly where you draw that line. But the fact that it can be difficult to say exactly this is the moment, this is where you draw the line, doesn't mean that you just go up. Oh, it's got to be, you know, the minute you have sex, that's when it happens. There is uh, an actual ability, I think, of the American public to hold the conflicting values and the gray areas and the messiness of this topic in their heads and come to relatively reasonable positions um, that do not have, you know, that don't include extremist views like the moment the sperm cracks the egg, that's a human life and your 14-year-old should be forced to carry their rapist baby to term. Yeah. Um, every poll on this, like the Pew Research poll, for example, um, that the, the most pop, I don't know if it's Gallup or Pew to be fair, but the, the most popular position is always like abortion should remain legal in most circumstances with some health regulations. That's yeah. the most popular position. And that touches on exactly what you're talking about, which is people sort of, I think, intuitively grasp the nuance of this, which is why Roe, the, Roe versus Wade was really popular. Well, what's Roe versus Wade? When you look at the details of that case, the first trimester, you have a right to an abortion. The government really can't intervene. The second trimester, they allow some health regulations. Mm -hmm. And then the third trimester, so like late term, is when individual states are allowed to, to if they it. choose to ban it. Yeah. And then Casey updated that standard a little bit to viability. Uh, but to answer your question or something that you said before, consciousness or the the nervous system creation so that there's pain, those are the the two lines that I think are reasonable yeah. when discussing abortion. Yeah. So either, hey, if they can feel pain, it's a different moral calculation. That's generally how I react to it. But some people say, no, it's more, do they have consciousness? And if they have consciousness, then that's the line right there. I think those are the reasonable the, the reasonable positions in the discussion. I don't agree with people who say, you know, literally up until the last minute before you give birth, like birth is the clear line. No, I think that's crazy. And I don't agree with these psychos who said, you know, second you're done having sex, yeah. there's a third person in the room. Well, the, the logical implication of what this guy is saying is even further than, you know, what is being implemented in a lot of these states. I mean, what he the logical implication of what he is laying out here is that if you are a woman who takes like a plan B pill, you're a murderer. That's exactly what he's saying. That's what he's saying. There's no ambiguity there yeah, at all. I mean, he, he literally says this This is murder. The minute the sperm cracks the egg, this is a human life. And if you scoop it out, that's murder. I, I think Rogan got a little taste there of the fact that there are people who believe absurd things yeah. on and, the right. And like he got a little little well, dose of that there. Like, wait, wait, you believe that? That's and here's crazy. The thing. Like, look, there are people with fringe views. That's whatever. But 
this is a very powerful faction of the American right. This is a very mainstreamed in terms of their uh, control of the party faction of the American right. They won. They won. And now they're having to actually implement these things at the state level. And you see in real time the horrific consequences of that, um, which are just, you know, wildly out of step with what the American people think should be the law of the land. But, you know, it's not like this is just some weird fringe character. His view dominates in the Republican Party, at least in terms of their power structure as well, organized, well-funded, and they have won in terms of, you know, that party apparatus. Now, that doesn't mean that all of the Republican base, in fact, we saw in Kansas, there were quite a few Republicans who crossed over to vote for the pro-choice position on that ballot initiative. So it's not to say that, you know, every rank-and-file Republican holds this extreme view, but in terms of the pro-choice of the the abortion policy in the Republican Party, these are the types of people who rule the day. It wasn't that long ago that Republicans had a six to eight point advantage in midterm polls. That's gone. Yeah. 538 just came out the other day and showed they're in a statistical tie, but Democrats are a touch up now in not just in a single poll, in the average of polls. Yes. So that six to eight point advantage is gonzo. And the first thing that changed the tide, the tides of it. Yeah. It was Roe versus Wade being overturned and then seeing all these extremist pieces of legislation popping up in all the different red states. And that started it. So this is it's also interesting too. Democrats are spending millions of dollars on the airwaves talking about abortion. Um, it's a and, layup. It's a layup. And for them. Republicans are basically not responding. I mean, they're doing the thing. That, normally, Democrats do this. Right. They're yeah, like, yeah, sure. Let's just not talk mm-hmm. about that thing. Right. I don't really want to talk about that. Defund the police. What are police? I don't even know what a pol- yeah, policeman is. What are you talking about? Yeah. Bro? <laughs> so that's what they're doing. They're not responding. They're just hoping that what people are going to focus on is inflation and disappointment with Biden, et cetera. But I mean, you can see in the erosion in the overall national picture for them. And then you also see it on a candidate by candidate basis where the candidates that have the most extreme positions, they're getting hit over the head with this. You know, Blake Masters wants a national ban on abortion. Almost all of the Republican candidates, Mastriano, have said really outrageously fringe things on abortion. And it's hurting them in these individual races too. So not just at the sort of national level. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. So why don't we go ahead and yeah, jump into it. Very eventful week in terms of what the hell is going on with Trump after, you know, the raid on Mar-a-Lago and what, what is was that about and what are these documents and why did he hold on to them? So many questions and we have the perfect person to break down all of it for us. The one and only Ken Klippenstein, uh, national security reporter for The Intercept. Let's get right to it. Ken, very nice to see you. Good to be with you guys. Um, okay, so let's just start from the top. What is your understanding of why Trump had classified documents and crucially why he held on to them even after the FBI came and was like, no, we're really serious about getting these back. Yeah. So what a retired uh, CIA official who was in this space at the time, and I've been able to corroborate this since with people close to Trump, um, tell me is that he was squirreling documents away for years. And anytime he found something interesting during um, these highly classified briefings called the President's Daily Brief, where they're sort of presented to them. This person worked on some of those, um, didn't present them himself, but you know was involved in the creation of these products. Um, when, whenever they would present it to him, not infrequently, something would grab his eye and he would think it was cool or exciting or whatever, and he would either tear a page out or take a picture of it on his phone. There was actually, in one case, um, Yahoo News reported on a case of where um, I think it was some Iranian missile... Uh, test that they were conducting, it it blew up, um, uh, 
Elon Musk style. It just didn't work to be able to launch. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, uh, the it, they had satellite photos from a secret spy satellite um, that they presented to the president showing him the results of this explosion. And he thought it was real cool. And he said, well, let me take a picture of this. I, I want to see this. Within, I think, a couple hours, he had tweeted it out already. And by doing that, <laughs> the Iranians were able to geolocate where our spy satellite was that took the uh, picture of it. And then we lose this probably tens of millions of dollar asset. This uh, is just one reported example. And so what the CIA official told me, and, and again, was true upon checking with other people, was that that was just the tip of the iceberg. This kind of thing happened with all sorts of things where he was just squirreling away documents. And my concern about the way this is being reported is that I suspect it might be a lot dumber than than people think. Mm. Because when this stuff first came out, I thought, why is he collecting these things? And people not unreasonably are like, is he selling these? You know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to I uh, break that down with you. So yeah. the way I described it when this news first came out, I was following it pretty closely, is that there's basically two camps, more or less, that people could fall into about, you know, why Trump did what he did here. One camp is, you know, and there was an article, what was it, in NBC News about this, where they said, it's recklessness, it's carelessness. He really thought, you know, rat. Biden's yeah. not even going to become the next president. Until the last minute, he was hoping that that was the case, that he would somehow magically stay in. So he was packing in a panic a week or two before he has to leave the White House. And, and he was, was just like throwing two days things before in boxes. Yeah, yeah, right. So that's one theory is like, recklessness, he's a moron, you know, last minute stuff. And then the other theory is the Saudi theory. This idea that he, not only does he have classified information and you know, like the levels of classification way better than I do, but like the top secret of the top secret, the stuff that you only get to see in a room. Yeah, it's called like, special access programs. So there's confidential, secret, top secret. And then above all of that at a level that uh, in some cases, Congress doesn't even know about special wow. access program. You can only view it in what's called a SCIF. It's S-C-I-F stands for sensitive compartmented information facility. Um, so they're right that Included among these documents are some of the, you know, most tightly held things that so, we have. So I want you to, because look, I and I said this to Crystal, I said it on air. I lean like 60-40 more towards the nefarious angle. And the reason I lean in that direction is because like you already pointed out, he didn't give all the stuff back when he was told to give it back. And I was, so that tells me, oh, there's like a reason that you're keeping this stuff. It's not just a oopsie. And so now I, I, we can get into the specifics as to why I think that's the case, but let me just ask you, number one, do you agree that those are like the two general camps or, and if you don't, what is your theory as to how we got here? It seems like you fall a little more in the carelessness camp, camp or that he's just sort of like a child and he get collected cool like stuff. Like the hold on to mementos. Right. Exactly. And if that's the case, you know, look, I hate Trump, but shouldn't the punishment be less versus if it's like he's literally selling secrets? Selling secrets right. to the well, there's Saudis. been a lot of confusion in how the media has discussed this because, mm -hmm. um, you know, he's uh, one of the charges is the Espionage Act. But that act is a bit of a misnomer because you can be charged with it just for retention of uh, what's called national defense information, which itself doesn't necessarily even include classified documents. Right. Um, yeah. That can be whatever. This term was made before the classification regime. Um, was established. I mean, the Espionage Act is a World War One kind of Red Scare era law that's applied extremely broadly and it's very problematic. And it's sort of it's used on now. Assange. It's used on Assange. It was used on uh, Chelsea Manning as well. And, and was it used is it used on Snowden as well? Yes. Really? And there's no Winner? evidence that they were giving this to yes, Winner yeah. as well. There's no evidence that they were giving this to foreign powers or anything. I mean, you know, you, we can have a debate about you know, yes, what they were doing violated certain laws, but to say that they're conducting espionage is just not true. Well, I would and argue the they were of, whistleblowers. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So. 
Um, the, the lawn itself is very problematic and it's a shame because people's feelings about Trump are making it so that we're getting sort of short shrift in terms of discussing how broad a law like this is. And you don't actually have to have committed espionage. I saw a legal affairs analyst for LA Times who should absolutely know better because he knows the statutes are supposed to saying Trump has been charged with espionage. And for an ordinary person to look at the Espionage Act and conclude that I can understand that because it is a misleading, again, it's a misnomer, but he should know better and explain to the public, no, it doesn't actually mean that. And, and again, like squirreling all these things away, that's pretty serious because you don't have the sorts of protection that I was talking about before the uh, sensitive compartmented information facilities um, that are necessary to protect these things from other guys that might want to get in there and look at it com perhaps completely unknown to the president. So I'm not saying this isn't serious. I'm just saying it's not the particular thing that, that a lot of people are spinning um, this up into. And, and to speak to your, to answer your question a little bit, um, I think there's a little more depth to it than just him being, you know, he's like collecting baseball cards or something. Although there's <laughs> definitely that kind of, you know, yeah, you saved the quote-unquote love letters from Kim Jong-un right, and stuff right, like right. that. Definitely yeah. a component of that. Amazing, but nice guy. <laughs> I beat off to it. It's fine. No big deal. He's, he's sexy. He's, he's a good-looking man. <laughs> from what I understand from the intelligence community uh, folks that, that know about this stuff, they said that he had become transfixed with the idea of collecting information uh, relevant to 2016 and Russiagate, thinking that once I go through the very, we're talking, you know, raw, unprocessed mm -hmm. signals, intelligence, you know, phone call, transcripts, things like that. I was told that he was very interested in those types of things and pulled them all together in a binder that the plan originally was to hand to um, Devin Nunes, who was the Republican leader of the um, House Intelligence Committee. And the idea was that this was going to vindicate him of all those charges. And it'll show that Hillary and the deep state had targeted him to, to you know, make him look bad. And the thought was that these documents were going to prove it. And that through the House Intelligence Committee and Nunes, they were going to disseminate this stuff to the press. But for whatever reason, when it came down to needing to um, go through the process to declassify and release it, to the agency, that never happened. And my sources don't know why, but they do know that he was obsessed with this idea of pulling this stuff together to try to clear his name in time for the next election. So there was a Newsweek article, I think you may know the reporter, that laid out some of these things. And I'll just, I'll read a little bit of the article and then we can get your reaction to it. So his reporting says the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago last Monday was specifically intended to recover Donald Trump's personal stash of hidden documents to high-level U.S. intelligence officials tell Newsweek to justify the unprecedented raid on a former president's residence and protect the source who revealed the existence of this private hoard, agents went into Trump's residence on the pretext that they were seeking all government documents, but the true target was this private stash, which Justice Department officials feared Trump might weaponize. Um, they go on to say the sought-after documents deal with a variety of intelligence matters of interest to the former president, including material that Trump apparently thought would exonerate him of any claims of Russian collusion in 2016 or any other election-related charges. Um, so uh, one Trump official kind of giving his spin of uh, on the event says Trump was particularly interested in matters related to the Russia hoax, the wrongdoings of the deep state. I think he felt, and I agree, that these are facts that the American people need to know. Um, and that official also said Trump might have been planning to use them as part of a 2024 run for the presidency, which I guess would explain why he was so um, eager to hold on to them. But it is confusing because 
during the Trump administration, I remember there was a lot of like MAGA energy around having all these documents declassified, which of course now their position is he could do it at any moment at the snap of the fingers in his own mind. He doesn't need to go through any sort of a process. But at the time he actually tweeted something that was like, I hereby declassify all Russiagate related documents. A bunch of news organizations were like, cool, let's get our FOIAs in. And then his administration went and successfully challenged that in court and said, no, 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 a tweet doesn't count. It has to go through the official process. These things are not actually declassified. When did this happen? I don't remember this. Mark Meadows was involved in that. There were FOIA lawsuits. Someone beat me to it. I wanted to do it too. (laughs) And it went through the federal courts and they ended up deciding no, a verbal statement. Him and tweeting this, it wasn't sufficient. Yeah. And this so has the force of case law. Bite him now. in the ass, isn't it? Right. That, that potentially. Is potentially. Bite him in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but what do you make of that? Because I understand the idea, okay, he was like stashing these documents and this was his private hoard, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't, I still don't quite understand why, number one, they didn't, if you wanted to declassify them, they exonerate him, why he didn't do it. And number two, why he's so persistent in hanging on to them, even after high-level DOJ officials had visited him, even after they issued a subpoena, why he still is keeping this material. My sources were similarly baffled by the fact that he didn't just declassify it. And the speculation, because I want to stress that this is just, what I told you before is stuff that I know. This is what they speculate. They speculate that he pulled these documents together and he found that it doesn't actually clear me. So what do we do now? We thought that this was going to be a quick, you know, we grab this stuff and it's going to completely clear my name in a very... um, uh, intuitive way. And so um, then perhaps he looks at it and says, ah, oh, well, give me more time. I'll go through it and we'll find something that that will make sense in a certain context. So now let me give you the theory that I lean in favor of. So when Trump was president, one of the stories that really caught my eye, and actually I didn't see many other people talking about it, which was shocking to me, but uh, Trump took $300,000 from Saudi Arabia through his DC hotel. And I think what they did is they allowed like veterans to go there and and like Saudi funded it or something. And it went, you know, right into Trump's pocket. That's one thing. Another thing is, of course, the news that I think it was the New York Times that broke this not that long ago, that Jared Kushner has a $2 billion deal with Saudi Arabia, which is just way above and beyond what they're paying. There actually are other Trump administration officials who are getting paid, but it's a lot less than the amount of money that they gave Jared. And which the Saudi government themselves, uh, internally, we know from leaked documents, raised issue with and said, guys, this is really not above board. And this is the Saudi government. Not exactly a you know beacon of uh, bureaucratic right. transparency. You know, MBS yes. said no. That is so, a good deal. So not just do we think it's suspicious. The Saudis thought that that deal was suspicious. Too. Right. So and then you also have and this just happened recently. Uh, we don't know the exact number because it hasn't been reported. But the rumor is that Trump, for having that live golf tour event at his course in Bedminster, New Jersey, that he got a hundred million dollars for that because they're throwing around money like nobody's business for that Saudi golf tour. So you got all that stuff added together. I'm sure there are things I don't know about or I missed that are out there of other, uh, you know, ways in which Saudi's funneling the Trump's money. And, you know, I I think you were the one who reported it too back in 2019 that right. they were looking for basically nuclear information. Right. Correct. So why, why am I wrong in thinking that that's actually that actually might be Occam's razor. Well, I don't know that you are wrong. I mean, I only know what I'm able to find out from my sources. And I ran this lead down because this is my first suspicion. You know, I've followed Saudi Arabia and their connections to the Trump family very closely over the last three or four years. Um, so 
Um, the reason that I lean away from it, uh, and I should say, I, I don't say that it's not possible. Um, perhaps there's stuff that I don't know, but it's just not something that I've been able to find any evidence for. Um, that could be something that changes. There's clearly a lot that we don't know. There's probably a lot the FBI knows that that you know isn't yet public, but I just haven't been able to find um, any evidence directly tying the documents because all the other stuff you were talking about, that's clearly conflict of interest stuff that yeah. you know, we should be It's all circumstantial at. evidence right. is what I'm giving you. Right. right. Yeah. Right. So I think it's like sensible to raise the question. I just haven't been able to find any hard evidence of it yet. So on the Russiagate theory, one of the things that I found interesting about this uh, framing in Newsweek is that they're saying, okay, yes, he had this other stuff that was in the storage mm -hmm. room. And yes, that was in the search warrant. But that wasn't really what they cared about. What they really cared about was this like Russiagate stash that Trump felt exonerated him. Why were they so particularly interested in, you know, the FBI and the DOJ in that stash of documents as opposed to the other classified or even highly classified documents, which he apparently had in the storage room. They have this line in the article that it wasn't the subject matter per se that was of interest to justice as it was fear that Trump might weaponize the information, including for personal gain. Like, what does that mean? Well, the impression that I got from talking to people in that world, the specific federal law enforcement world, is that um, there's source protection questions that come up. So when you um, raid things, if you're too specific about what exactly it is you're looking at, that can give away the person that you're getting information from. Right. And in the intelligence community, they're obsessed with protecting what's called sources and methods. Mm -hmm. So it's not just technology, how you collect information. It could also be people. And um, that same reporter reported, and this is consistent with what I had been being told, um, was that uh, there was a informant that's telling them, uh, someone close to Trump, um, who informed the FBI about what was going on with respect to these documents. And so um, they might want to broaden their search so as not to give the target a sense of um, where the, because the question is, oh, if it's something really specific, how does, you know, two people that I know know about those things. So if you broaden it to include a bunch of other things, then it broadens the suspect pool too. So it might be a source protection thing. But what is it about these Russiagate documents that they're so much more concerned about? Because I'm just, you know, the... The Trump line and his acolytes is like, this is politicized. They're just going after me because right. they hate Trump. And it's, you know, deep state, witch hunt, et cetera. And I feel like in a way, if they're just focused on these like Russiagate docs that they're worried he's going to use in a political campaign, yeah. it gives more credence to their line that this is political and right. not really just about like we're worried about classified info in general. So what I was told by a CIA official, a senior CIA official who had access to a lot of the Russia documents was that um, they in particular were, were of an extraordinarily sensitive nature. So there's different overclassifications out of control. So yeah. we can't just take oh, for yeah. granted when they say, you know, oh, something's sensitive. We can't, because that's just, they'll stamp it on any, anything. Right. Yeah, anything to, that so makes I, them look bad too. Right. Yeah, that's I a want, big problem. And I, I, I want you to lay this out a little bit more because this is not an area I know a lot about. But Obama had that like famous quote during the Hillary time where he was like, there's classified and then there's actually really classified. Exactly. Getting at this idea that a lot of stuff they throw a classification marking on when really, I mean, much of it is available in the public sphere. It's really not that sensitive. 
those things that are classified at that highest level, the special access programs, yeah. is that all actually really sensitive? Or is there some of that material too that's like, yeah, this is not really a big deal? They've expanded SAPs. It's kind of interesting. Initially, it was supposed to protect primarily like technology. So if, say, the NSA has a breakthrough in um, something that can decrypt messages or something, they don't want that to become publicly known. That was originally what SAPs were, were, were intended for. It's been expanded to cover kind of covert uh, programs and things beyond just technology. So there's something to, you know, I think people should be skeptical generally. However, um, what, what I was told about the binder of documents that I described before, it's how it was housed at some point in the CIA's um, liaison office with Congress, because again, the plan was to hand this to the House Intelligence Committee, even though that didn't happen. Um, what I was told was that it was this binder of documents that included stuff that would identify uh, assets mm. that the CIA has that are giving them information. Mm. And that kind of thing, I think you probably can make a case for that. It's important because, uh, you know, in a country like Russia, you find out who's talking to the U.S. government, they're going to kill them. Right, right. Um, so right. I do think there's, you know, I don't want to be totally um, uh, blasé about the importance of something like this. Again, it's hard to know without knowing what exactly specific what documents, but but um, I do think there's a concern, even if he's not selling it, somebody can easily go in and see, maybe there's some party or something and they kind of right, take a peek yeah. and try to see what's going and on. And there's Remember a lot there of was, scumbags in Mar-a-Lago. Exactly. A lot of wealthy pricks. Remember there was like a Chinese national who was caught trying exactly. to come in with surveillance right. equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're I not that. doing that, they're not doing their jobs because right, this is right. just a goldmine for foreign services. That's you know? true. That so true. Let, me, let me make a comparison here. I want to compare Hillary to Trump, yeah. okay? So Hillary, obviously the emails thing was a huge story. The FBI opened an investigation into Hillary Clinton and James Comey announced, I don't have the numbers in front of me now, but okay, X amount was this level of classification, X number was this level of classification. And there was even, I don't know if any reached the level that Trump had, like the highest of the high, but they even said that like, I think there were 10 instances where something had secret information and it was breached. And I remember when Comey did the press conference announcing the findings of the investigation and basically concluded it by saying, and we're not going to charge her. And I was like, what? Because as somebody, you know, on somebody on the left, somebody who's a Bernie supporter and you got this stuff going on with Hillary and you're like, seems like she committed crimes. Why would you not charge her? Um, so now comparing it to Trump, yes, they raided him, but he kind of put him in a corner where they had to because he didn't give up all the information, exactly. right? But they're going to investigate him. What's the likelihood that the same thing happens as happened with Hillary, where they're like, ah, well, we can do. You commit crimes, <laughs> yeah. but eh, we're just going to move on. The question is to what extent that they wanted to just secure the documents and mm. were forced to do that. Because again, remember the Espionage Act, you can't, um, it, it's not sufficient to go after them unless they have refused requests by government officials to, so it's not enough to just have it. You have to also refuse requests. And my understanding is that there were attempts to try to back channel with him and try to handle this outside of the public light. Cause the reality is as much as the FBI and justice department likes to, you know, talk about how they're apolitical, they don't want all this heat and all this smoke of people saying, you know, the deep state is doing X, Y, and Z. So they did try and he refused to do it. And that's just factually true, you know? Um, so uh, comparing it to the Hillary case. So Hillary referenced, Hillary Clinton referenced classified information in emails. It, it wasn't actually like the top Document. secret documents really? themselves. Yes. Oh, so there was yeah. no so, like original classified information in the emails? Um, I didn't there, know that. There was stuff that she shouldn't have put in there and uh -huh. she shouldn't have been running a private server because that right. makes it so that reporters like me, you can't FOIA things. That's a way of getting around the system. However, I, I do think that that's on a sort of different level than having the kind of uh, primary source documents themselves that are and, stamped. And the top secret of the top secret. Exactly. Nothing Hillary had rose to that level, exactly. right? Nothing was uh, right. the stuff you got to keep in the 
skiff or whatever it's called. Yes. It was the problem is, I mean, this gets at the problem of overclassification. There's so much information they stamp this stuff on that realistically, if you talk to somebody who's been in the business for a long time, um, they're often very nervous when they're speaking to you because they can't remember what's all, they've seen thousands of things. You can't mm -hmm. remember. Uh, so, you, it, you know, it is criminal to like uh, verbally convey something that's classified, but how do you know, how do you remember? There's publicly known stuff that they'll classify. It's ridiculous how crazy, how over the top it is. There's also very selective prosecution of oh, leaks of classified information. Totally. Oh, if yeah. it's a sanctioned leak totally. of classified information to a journalist, then oh, that's fine. No problem. They actually have a term for it. It's called an authorized disclosure. So there's unauthorized disclosures and then there are authorized <laughs> ones that go to the New York Times and the you know major papers when they're trying to advance the White House position on something. Right. Yes, exactly. So that's what makes all of this a little bit more complex. But I mean, in Trump's case, what do you make of the fact that <laughs> He has shifted his defense so many times. <laughs> it's classic Trump. First, he was like, the FBI planted If there was anything bad, the FBI planted it. Then and it was like- Obama took stuff too. Yeah, Obama, <laughs> Obama's way worse. And it was nuclear. And um, then it was like, oh, I can, I declassified all of this. So this is He's fine. Great. Yeah, changing Yeah, and then it was- then he moved to some of this is, well, he did the like, oh, I would have given it all back if you just asked. Right. You know, you just could have asked. Right. And then the very next thing was like, I want it all back. Yes. Because <laughs> one day after the next. Attorney client privilege and it's executive privilege. I mean, in some ways, it's classic Trump, but in other ways, none of those defenses has really ended up holding up. So the classification one is a perfect example. They went in hard on this Cash Patel, who's like a close right. advisor to Trump at this point. This was their big defense was Donald Trump declassified all of this. I was there and I heard him do it. So there's nothing to see here and this is not a problem. And as the chief executive, that was his right to do. Well, that has become less of a sufficient defense as we learned like, oh, well, actually what was in the search warrant was three criminal statutes that don't require the documents to be classified. So what do you make of the fact that so far none of their defenses has really, really been complete? This is exactly what makes me think that this whole thing is a lot dumber than people realize. Like, again, you make a good point. He's a very transactional person. He's not opposed to making money off of things, so on and so forth. Um, but then is this same guy who is, you know, saying, oh, the documents were planted and I want them back because they're real. Is that same guy, um, is it outside of the realm of possibility that he was just thought this stuff was cool and wanted to clear his you, you know what I mean? There's not a whole lot more to it. I think- By the way, that's why he can't get a good lawyer because of everything you just described. <laughs> Seriously, no did good it, lawyers are, are- Didn't he get yeah. like Kid Cootie's lawyer or something or some, some rap? I, I was just <laughs> I reading about this. I don't think it was Kid Cootie, oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> Kid Cudi's a big KKF fan. <laughs> My dad moment there. <laughs> That's all right. Um, yeah. Okay. You have any? I, you want to finish your, your thought before I talk about? Because I, I have a question about the RussiaGate thing. That's going to be a little sketchy. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wish there was a little more nuance in how this is covered because everyone is corralled into the two positions of the maximalist camp of like he was selling it to the Russians, which journalists know ordinary people are going to read espionage, charged with espionage. They, they know that people are going to read it that way. Why the Russians though? Saudi's the one that's given them all this fucking money. I don't understand why exactly. the Russia thing. It keeps coming back to the Russia thing. Because they're a geopolitical adversary. The Saudis are our wonderful friends who are always that there for That is exactly right. how they so, view it. But okay, so look. Beacon of human rights. Here's right. the thing. Here's the thing. So it, it, if what you're describing is the way that it actually unfolded, right? That he took these Russiagate documents because he wanted to like clear his name, but he didn't go through the proper channel to... 
you know, de uh, declassify these things. Um, I mean, look, I don't know why he even felt the need in the first place to try to, like, clear his name on Russiagate, because when the results of the Mueller report came out, they said, like, we can't get you on anything specifically involving Russia. Right. Yes, they got Paul Manafort on other stuff. In fact, I think he was involved in Ukraine in one way or another, and right. he didn't register as, like, a foreign lobbyist, something to that effect. People around Trump have gone down for a variety of things, including just, you know, standard run-of-the-mill corruption type stuff, but... They didn't get him on anything involving Russia, so why would he feel the need to to clear his name further? Well, here's the thing. Once you declassify it, um, weasels like me can file FOIA lawsuits and get everything that's there, even if he doesn't disclose it to the public, if it's declassified. So the question, I think, the rational question at that point is, why wouldn't he want the public to have it? And I would guess that it's because he's worried that it didn't show what he thought it showed, or maybe it shows something. I mean, that's what I was told, is that it showed some derogatory things. But what, what's he afraid of? Like, what do you think the thing is that he's afraid of in there? Because... I mean, what, maybe it shows the bumbling incompetence that we're talking about now, but it's not going to show the fucking P-tape, and it's not going to show Putin pulling his strings. So, like, what's he afraid of? Right. Well, I mean, this is someone who, um, you know, I'm just remembering how I think there was a report that he put a lot of thought into walking downstairs very carefully because he was terrified of having a photo op of him looking weak and kind of stumbling or something like all presidents do. His image this obsessed. Exactly. And and he has to look epic and, str and project strength and all these things. And in that context, I don't think it has to be something that is any sort of smoking gun. It's just something that he thinks doesn't make him look cool. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, that does make sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is reasonable, yeah. The other thing um, that I thought was interesting, and I wonder if you read anything into it, I mean, number one, you had first when the news broke of the FBI raid, Every Republican was on the talking right. points immediately. Right. This is the deep state. It's a witch hunt. I mean, all in from all of his purported challenger, you know, Ron DeSantis and Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo and all of the Fox News apparatus, every single one of them singing the same tune. And then as the days wore on and you got a little bit more disclosure in the press, they started to <laughs> back off, back off yeah. a little. And you even had you had this very interesting note in a New York Times article that was like, Trump aides are warning some senior Republican officials not to go in so hard on the FBI because more damaging things might come out. And literally the very next day, the House Freedom Caucus was supposed to give a presser at 9 a.m. And they're super mad and they were going to go all in, deep state, et cetera, et cetera. And then they canceled the press conference. So um, now you've had Republicans kind of backing away a little bit, being a little bit quieter. Mitch McConnell won't say anything about it whatsoever. Um, what do you make of that shift from a sort of political perspective? What do you read into it? Yeah, so I looked very closely at the polling around this because I was curious what effect it would have. And what's interesting is that um, it does seem as though there's been a sort of m marginal impact on independence opinion of him kind of uh, causing them to disapprove more but what uh, but it's had also a much stronger um effect on um, his base. Yeah. So for example, there was a poll very recently that came out that found that he uh, had a 10% increase in uh in in what's called matchups against uh, Ron DeSantis. So I think it has a kind of paradoxical effect of it might put off some independence but it really galvanizes the base. And I think that their response to that was a reflection of that understanding that it's like, oh boy, like I better be on his side as long as I have to pick a side so that his base doesn't, you know, turn. I mean, you had people like Rubio, who's the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, who's the ranking member of the Senate Intelligence Committee, like pretty button down guy in terms of, at least, you know, for the GOP, um, and is going to have been socialized to care about classification and protection of secrets and things like that. Um, since he's on the, 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 they're very careful not to let troublemakers on the intelligence committees. Um, and even he was talking about 
uh, Trump being unfairly maligned and all these things. So I, I think that a lot of this is just sort of political opportunism and, and fear about what the what his segment of the base is going to. And I think I do think that probably on net it's a gift to him. And I'm not saying that the FBI shouldn't have enforced the law, but I'm just saying factually looking at the polling data that exists, it seems to have helped him in at least in the primary in the environment. Primary. Yeah. One one question on that is there was some uh, reporting in the press from people around him right after it happened that was basically like, they're gleeful about it. They think this is great for him. They're nothing that. but happy about it. Yeah, do you buy that? I mean, are you hearing anything like that from Trump world or is he legitimately concerned about where this goes? Well, here's the interesting thing. When I was first becoming acquainted with Trump in the, in the media and his circle, I started thinking, oh, this whole thing, it's kind of like a theater for, for the for the base, you know? And I was like, he doesn't really believe, he's just a con man, like he's tri And as I started talking to more and more people in the intelligence space, it became clear to me, he actually does believe a lot of, like, I don't think that this is necessarily a messaging thing on his part and Cash Patel's part saying, oh, it'll clear me, knowing that, knowing that it won't necessarily, I think they actually believe that if they keep digging, they'll find something that'll prove it. So the extent to which, these officials end up believing their own propaganda is really sort of startling. And and there's a lot less of this 6D chess knowing exactly what lies he's telling. It, it, he's the kind of guy that I suspect it believes a lot of the crazy stuff he's saying in that moment, even if it's contradictory to the other stuff he said. Hmm. So let me, uh, let me lay this out for everybody. So we have the, there's a civil case in New York uh, involving Trump, involving his businesses. So he's accused of, tax fraud, insurance fraud, bank fraud, like a whole plethora of things. Now, again, that's a civil case, so it's more about the money or potentially the corporate death penalty than it is about jail time. However, it's also true that uh, Trump's CFO, Alan Weisselberg, uh, just pled guilty and is going to spend some time behind bars. And now, as part of the plea deal, he's going to have to testify, at the very least, against Trump's organization, potentially even Trump, too, if the criminal uh, proceedings move move along further if the criminal investigation moves along further. That's what's going on in New York right now. Then we have the Georgia case where Giuliani is the target of a criminal investigation. They're also trying to bring in Lindsey Graham because Lindsey Graham was involved with a bunch of stuff there. Um, Trump, of course, made that famous phone call, found me 11,000 votes. Um, and they did the whole fake elector scheme and they followed through with it. And that's like, that's serious stuff right there. Um, and then, of course, you have what went down with um, the FBI raid and the fact that Look, like you said, it, it would be one thing if he took the stuff and then he handed it all over when they asked him to, but he didn't do that. Right. And he was sort of caught dead to rights on that front. So I guess my question to you is, uh, how do you think this ends? Because if just one of all the things I just laid out falls into place, that hurts. That hurts him. And it, it literally hurts him in the sense that he may, in some instances, get jail time. Or, it, I mean, that's a real political stain too. any sort of indictment, I think, is a real political stain. Um, and, and like you mentioned before, independence going, going gonzo, son, over, done. I mean, when Trump won in 2016, he had nine percent of Democrats who voted for him. Those nine percent are not knowing, not interested at all. So how do you think this ends? The real question is um, to what extent they're able to prove um, intent on his part um, in, in regards to holding back the documents. And we have yet to find out, you know, what my understanding is, is that they do have this informant, someone close to Trump, probably one of his attorneys, um, who were involved in the exchange of the um, the back channeling with FBI, which did happen. The Republicans don't want to admit this, but the FBI did try to back channel with them and handle this outside of the outside of the public eye. Um, and so it's going to come down to to what extent that you, you can show that Trump was directing what his attorneys were 
um, uh, telling the FBI about what he had and what he didn't have. And I just don't know what that, I don't know what that evidence is. So it's hard to say at this point. It really struck me. Um, it seemed to me like that uh, letter that the one lawyer signed saying like, we gave you everything is potentially significant because you can imagine, I mean, if you're that person or if you're someone else who's involved in basically certifying, like we handed it all yeah. over and then you come to find out that that wasn't true. You start thinking not just about your client, but you're like, wait, do I have legal exposure now? Because now I know that he's lying to the feds about what he has. And if I'm being asked to attest that we have fully turned over these documents, this could end up being a big problem for me. Yeah. And if an informant is the basis of a lot of this stuff, which I understand it is, um, that raises interesting questions about why is he cooperating? And I asked some FBI officials who didn't know about this directly, but are familiar with the process. I said, so what is this? You get him on something else and then you can coerce his cooperation. They said, no, it doesn't usually work that way in, in these types of cases. He probably came forward of his own volition to, to, um, you know, protect himself because he had direct exposure on that specific thing that he disclosed. Um, so I think that's exactly the right question to ask. Another piece here is um, it's now come out that they had uh, access to some of the surveillance footage in Mar-a-Lago, and that also played a role ultimately in obtaining this search warrant. Do you know anything about that or what that might have shown? No, I don't. I do see Trump saying that he wants to release it, though, which is just gasoline. On well, he's saying he wants to release footage of the FBI agents oh, searching right, the right, property, right? To dox right? Them. Basically, That's what he's to, to yeah, do. basically right. to right. dox them. Which is like so irritating. Like exactly what I was talking about before. This this effect of corralling everyone into their respective partisan positions on everything. You know, uh, completely irrespective of what the facts are. And then you have Trump, who just is. You know, it, it just is fuel the fire for this whole thing. I mean, we're going to, to me, this is going to ensure another two year long news cycle uh, of a familiar sort that we see with Trump where, you know, we have to relitigate all these things that ends up causing everyone to become extremely paranoid and distrustful of institutions once again. And this is just, he's a magnet for this stuff, you know? Let me ask you this question, which I think is probably an easy one, but um, given this fact pattern and putting aside however you feel about the Espionage Act and how it's been applied, putting aside overclassification and all of that, if you had this fact pattern with a regular citizen, oh. Ken Klippenstein had this <laughs> fact pattern, how would this have been handled? Much differently. I mean, I know, you know, senior FBI people that, um, themselves are to the left personally, politically, who express a lot of anxiety about how this is going to go, not just the outcome of it, but just the political effect the on backlash. the institution. Exactly. They yeah, didn't the want to do this. You know, mm -hmm. they really didn't want it. And there's a, I mean, Garland gets out there and says, you know, we're just following the facts, blah, blah, blah. There's not that level of um, equanimity uh, on on the part of people inside, I don't think. Yeah. They're much more anxious about it. And, uh, you know, by that token, I also found it very interesting. Trump, uh, through some sort of advisor, reaching out to Merrick Garland with what I considered almost like a veiled threat of like, we better turn the temperature down here because things could get really ugly. And then he repeats that in an interview to Fox News Digital. For all Trump's incompetence, he really understands where the pressure points are with regard to stimulating people's grievances and paranoia and things like that. And I think he's been very candid about signaling to DOJ that he's going to go full bore with that stuff if they continue with this. Yeah. I mean, Crystal and I have sort of been debating this question behind the scenes, not even behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. We've been talking about it in terms of how this uh, impacts Trump 
moving into, uh, you know, the primary and then the general election. And I have it. I'm not as confident as her. She thinks it's like 70, 80 percent chance that he's going to win the primary and, you know, that this stuff is helping him, which the numbers show right now it is helping him with the base. Yeah. Um, I'm more like 60 percent that he'll he'll win in part because I think there is a real chance he might actually be in, in jail at the time. Um, but in terms of like a general election, I, I'm at the point now where I see almost no chance of him winning because the, it, it, look an FBI raid normies look at that and go, what the fuck did you do? Like you did some shit. That's how everybody felt when it was the FBI investigating Hillary Clinton. What'd you do? Right. Obviously you did some shit. They're investigating you. I think they feel the same way about Trump. And I think that hurts him in a general election. But he thrives on this um, sense that, you know, m you know, Trump say it myself, like, like you guys, I'm being persecuted. I mean, that's his whole pitch. And he, he doesn't have that pitch in any material sense because he's not being persecuted by the corporations. He's not being persecuted by uh, private equity, by right. these mm -hmm. guys that he gave tax cuts to. But here's something I can point to where a major institution is coming after me. And it, to me, that's just such a, I think that's such a potent weapon. And the other thing is, I mean, I stopped making predictions after 2016. Not that I didn't think that Trump had a good chance then, but just because I saw how many weird things, who could have seen COVID coming? We don't know what the environment is yeah. going to be like during the general, True. Um, with, you know what I mean? Yeah, COVID yeah. was nobody's. Biden could, you know, be the nominee and drop dead five days before election day. <laughs> Like right. literally anything. Totally. Happen. That is very true. Biden could be dying right now as we're talking. Yeah, to like exactly. Get the news <laughs> alert. Yeah. Trump could be having a massive heart attack yeah, right now too. Like, too. Like, exactly. I just feel now. like there's huge variables here. You know? Yeah, yeah that, that's absolutely true. <laughs> very much. Um, very much the case. I just want to ask you. Uh, so you brought. You guys were both talking about the Espionage Act. Um, and certainly as it's used in the context of Julian Assange or Edward Snowden or Chelsea Manning. I mean, I think that's total abuse of power. Those are whistleblowers. I mean, I think, I think they're heroes if I'm being honest, but, uh, the, the specific provisions that, um, they're going after Trump for under the espionage act, I was reading them in, um, the articles when they first came out and it had the stuff that was in the warrant. And, you know, my sense of it is, I don't know why, like some of those things seem perfectly reasonable to, to have as laws, sure. but I don't know why it's part of the espionage exactly. act. I feel like it should just be a separate thing because I agree the overclassification is a big problem, but if we're seriously talking about Trump had the stuff that was in the skiff and it's the top secret of the top secret, that's the shit that should actually be secret hidden. So yeah, yeah if right. that shit is taken, then yeah, like throw the book at him and let's see what happens. Yeah. But it shouldn't be part of the espionage act, I guess is my statement. It's not really a question, but I wanted to throw that out there. I mean, the act itself, World War One, it was um, applied, I think originally to people that opposed the war. I mean, it has a very ugly history. Right. They should just yeah. have, find something that conveys the idea of the law in a more, you know, intuitive and, and honest sense and, and just is divorced from this very ugly period in our history. So, Ken, what do you think happens now? Because a lot of the speculation was basically they did this raid now because it's 90 days before the election. And so there's a typical, like, quiet period yeah. before midterm election. What do you think is going to be the next piece that we see? I actually anticipate it looking a lot like the Mueller investigation in terms of there being these huge stretches. Because these institutions, it's not like the movies where some guy kicks down a door and then you've got the thing you need or whatever. It's like, these are very bureaucratic institutions that require sign off for any little thing that you want to do. And something 
this important, they are going to be hand-wringing and worrying about every step along the way to make sure they don't have a single thing out of place. So my guess is we're not going to hear a lot about this for quite a quite a period of time. And what is your understanding of how Merrick Garland operates and how he thinks about these things? Because obviously a lot of this is going to come down to, you know, whether he's got the cojones to decide to charge Trump or not. Well, he was um, notified of it, but my understanding is that he was in a diff- difficult position in that, you know, the National Archives and Records Administration had uh, done a criminal referral to them, which, you know, is their right if somebody doesn't produce uh, things under the Presidential Record Act, which is distinct from this Espionage Act stuff that we're talking about. And then in that situation, um, someone like him, who's a bureaucratic survivor and and is very risk averse in my view, um, uh, he might not want to go ahead with it, but you have, you're in a position where if you don't, then you're accused of politicizing it in the sense of you're not enforcing the law um, on someone, but just because you don't want to have the political fallout. Um, but then on the other hand, if you enforce it, then they're going to say, well, you know, uh, why are you enforcing it against this? Per- uh, I'll give you an example. Um, Bill Clinton disclosed the existence of a highly classified uh, covert operation with regard to Kosovo, I think, in 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 a uh, media interview at one point, and he was never prosecuted for it. Because I think there's a general understanding, like I was saying before, of that... Um, it, it, we have to take seriously that these guys have so much secret information in their heads that if you just drop the hammer every time there's some some type of infraction, then you're going to have a situation where they can't address the public in any sort of serious fashion. So there is some discretion with regard to uh, elected officials and how they how they conduct themselves. And I think you could probably make a good case for that. You know, probably Bill Clinton didn't intend to disclose something highly classified. He maybe just forgot that that was the case. And this is a much different case. But I'm what I'm saying is that that's the argument for that they shouldn't charge Trump. Now, I don't think that's a particularly good argument in this case, but it does put someone like Garland between a rock and a hard place because uh, I don't think there is any sort of middle ground in something like this. If he had just recused himself and washed his hands of it and said, we're not going to do anything about it, probably leak eventually. And you can imagine what Biden's base, what their response to that would yeah. be like. Well, and he was under pressure from uh, Biden's base totally. for not going after Trump and not appearing to be more aggressive in some of these potential you know, criminal infractions. So poten- possibly he felt like that was sort of the easier path at exactly. this point was to go forward with the raid, especially under pressure from the National Archives. Yeah. Anything else? I think that's that's I mean, as much as I know today. I'm trying to the one other anything's in my head. Well, the, one other thing actually that I don't know if you want to speculate about it or not, but Tucker Carlson obviously talks to Trump all the time. Yeah, they're you know they're buddies. They he knows what's in Trump's head. You know to the extent that that's useful to anyone. <laughs> um, and I thought he said something that was interesting. You covered it on your show. Number one, he said Trump's definitely getting indicted, which you know may or may not be true. I don't think Trump could know that. I don't think that anyone could know that, save maybe like Merrick Garland. But he also said this thing about like, oh, and next we're going to be talking about what's on these surveillance videos and how it shows Trump improperly handling classified documents. And I was like, that's kind of interesting that you would sort of prep your audience for that potentially coming out. I wonder if you make anything of that. Oh, yeah. He's been very um, um, mindful of the media narrative that's emerging. Like r- right before the Justice Department released the, the – the, I don't remember what it's called – the um, the uh, the the documents that showed what the legal basis was from the mm-hmm. judge that they had conducted the raid. Um, Trump released. Do you remember this? This came out like one hour before that. Trump released it to the media. Yeah. So he's like very mindful about trying to control the flow of information. And the they both have moles. They both have. I mean, there's definitely people. The deep state has to be divided. The FBI has to be divided. There still have to be some Trump loyalists there. 
What so do they you probably think, both have voles. Absolutely. Moles. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Federal law enforcement, no question. That, right. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely more of the like um, mythical centrist Republican in the in the intelligence mm. community. Yeah, really? there's a lot more. There is a lot more of that. That's like, I laugh about how little there is in the real world, but like, yeah. in that, it's a very rarefied world. I mean, they are literally in a bubble. Like, they're working in a lot of the buildings they work in are themselves skiffs. They're dis- they're wow. they're built so that uh, you know electronic stuff can't be collected from outside of it. Like, they are literally in a like cage, and in that world. It, their belief systems and, and culture and they're and all Mitt Romney and, and, and uh, there's more James I'm not, Comey. <laughs> I'm not saying they're all that, but there's a lot more. Yeah, but I, they've I, I believe be, it. I believe I mean, it. they've got to be kind of shocked by the Republican Party being like, defund the FBI. They're going to be like, what? Wait. Totally. But there are Trump people too. Plenty of them. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Are they also like, defund my employer? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think because I do actually know a lot of these guys. It's funny. They don't, they're not on Twitter. They're so, again, they're so removed. The, they don't even know that I have the politics that I have because they don't exist in the Did same I? part of the world that we do. Wow. You know? Um, so that's, that's, that's what I would stress is like how much of a remove there is and, and um, internal reasonings that might be sort of puzzling to, to those of us mm, in the normal. Because the bureaucracy just, has its own logic. Exactly. And Let's just, just wrap up with this. What percentage chance is it that Trump goes to jail? <laughs> give me, give me a number. I'm not letting you get up until you give me a number. I would say 10%. That's Just it? because I think at the end of the day, you know, powerful people have their own set of rules. I just, I could be totally wrong, but that's my gut feeling. Betting against elite accountability, generally a thing. <laughs> so, but then, then the most likely fallout from this is, like you pointed out, he'll win the Republican primary in a crushing fashion and then lose the general election. If that's how it unfolds, that's, that's what's going to happen. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that seems to me like the most likely outcome right now. But as we've all said... God only knows what's going to happen between now and then. Could literally be anything. Well, your name is Crystal Ball, so you need to be sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, false, a- false advertising. <laughs> Dr. Ross Talk over to here. to my parents about that one. <laughs> um, Ken, thank you. Invaluable to have your reporting. We really appreciate it. Great to be with you guys. All right. That was Ken Klippenstein of The Intercept. And uh, I think, so we learned a little bit there. We know what his theory is and he's mm-hmm. well sourced. So, you know, that that's, it's an important thing to keep in mind. Um but I will say I, I am st- I do still have reservations about his theory, namely because the Mueller report already sort of cleared Trump on the RussiaGate stuff. So why do you need the secret why documents? You, and- yeah. But then again, he gets weirdly obsessed with shit, and it's like inexplicable, you know? Yeah, but you would think that since the Mueller report came out as it did, and the FBI had asked for the documents back, you think he would have just been like, "All right, handed over them over then." And if he didn't, again, I still lead more towards. I lean more towards the Saudi theory, but even even if it's not the Saudi theory, I do think there's something transactional going on here. I mean, I'm 60% on that team, 40% I could see the recklessness argument. I don't know what I think at this point. I mean, if it all comes back to fucking Russiagate, I don't know. (laughs) But see, like, I I will argue. It will never end. Russiagate will never end. But here's the thing. I would argue if it is over Russiagate, I would sincerely argue the punishment should be significantly less. Because I don't think that's as egregious. I mean, I still think he should be punished. I guess guess it just depends because, as Ken was saying, it could be Russiagate shit, but things that are actually sensitive that really do relieve, you know, reveal intelligence assets and put people's lives in jeopardy and whatever. But if it is about Russiagate, I would not put it past the FBI to put in the highest level of classification the thing that made them look stupid. True. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like... 
we're not libs who think the FBI is like above reproach. No, and definitely like, not. Of course, they're operating in goodwill and just doing their jobs in a noble way. And of course, this isn't political or anything like that. So that's why I'm sort of at a loss for what the real story here actually is. I mean, okay, so let's say it's the Russiagate documents that he was squirreling away during his whole presidency and he has a secret stash that he thinks either is going to exonerate him or makes him look bad. And so he wants to hold on to them and he takes them to Mar-a-Lago and he puts them in his safe. I could believe, I could believe all of that. But then, like you said, then when you realize they're they're serious about this, then why not hand him over? Or if you really believe, as the Newsweek article suggests, that he thinks that these would exonerate him, then like why didn't you declassify them and make them public if you're the all-powerful declassifier and you can just do it with a wave of the hand? So there's still pieces of it that I'm just like, eh, I don't know about that. It's hard to believe that because he was already exonerated. The Mueller report exonerated him. The idea he was Putin's puppet is was total nonsense. It just wasn't true. This guy built up NATO on Russia's border. This guy armed Ukrainian extremists. And we learned it was, uh, you know, there were neo-Nazis and they literally cut off the funding because it was neo-Nazis. And then months later, they started funding them again. This is a guy who axed that pipeline to Russia. It He was exonerated on Russiagate. He just was. You know, I thought it was bullshit from the beginning. It turned out they weren't able to get him on anything involving Russia. And so that I, you would think that's enough for him to be like, well, yeah, of course, we're past this. I'm exonerated. Yeah. I just, it, 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 and with him holding back the documents, even after they asked for it, I'm definitely leaning more in the foul play direction, definitely leaning more in Saudi has something to do with it. But let me ask you mm-hmm. the same question I asked Ken. Percentage what, what percentage chance do you think there is that he's going to end up in prison? In prison, and it doesn't have to be over uh, this case. It could be if hypothetically the New York case goes further with the criminal investigation, the or in Georgia, collectors. the yeah, it could be any of them. It seems like okay. So let me let me evaluate each one of them in turn. I mean, with the documents, there's no doubt in my mind that he committed a crime. Um, that if you were an ordinary citizen would be charged and you would end up in prison for. I just, I don't think there's any two ways around that. But will they actually charge him in this case? I don't know. So that's the documents. Then you've got the Georgia fake electors thing where Giuliani is now a target. Clearly, probably their goal there is to apply pressure to him. So he flips on Trump and informs on Trump. And, you know, this fake elector crap didn't come out of nowhere. It was coming from the guy up top. So that's that one. And that one seems to be perhaps the most advanced. You have a separate grand jury investigation in D.C., actually two of them, one about his incitement on January 6th. I probably, I I don't know that anything is going to come out of that, that one directly because I, don't think, is going I think that's the toughest one in terms of, you Agreed. know, he left himself enough wiggle room yes. as much as his actions on that okay. day, everybody. He was completely abhorrent. But Both sides in terms mouth. of legal jeopardy, given political speech and First Amendment rights, I think it's that's a harder, a tougher nut to crack. But you also have uh, grand jury looking at the... Uh, fake elector scheme, you know, here, like at a national level here as well. And there might be more there, there. Then you've got the New York civil case, um, which the criminal piece of which kind of fell apart. So it doesn't seem like that one is going that far. So you put all of those together and then you think about how risk averse I believe Merrick Garland is, how risk averse I believe Joe Biden is. And 
I'm inclined to buy Ken's assessment that it's somewhere around 10% chance. Now, if you were the person who was facing a 1 in 10 chance of going to prison, you probably wouldn't feel that great about that. It is still extraordinary to have a 10% chance that a former president ends up in prison. But given how much wiggle room he has, how he always seems to get out of a jam— how, you know, timid Democrats and how timid I expect Merrick Garland to be. Yeah, that's where I put it. But again, Letitia James and then also, I forget the name of the one in Georgia who's do, doing the criminal mm-hmm. investigation, but I go 30. I go a solid 30, maybe even 35% chance. I don't know. I'm not there. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess... this, And it might partly be like psychological protection on my part that I'm just like not willing to really expect anything to come of any of well, this because it never seems to. Thir- but 35 is still, it's not the majority likelihood. It's minority. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like one in three chance. But, but that's very high. there's so many balls already moving. That's a weird way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> These balls are just moving all over the place. It's crazy. We don't even understand how. But so many balls are rolling. <laughs> yes. Stop saying balls. Stop saying (laughs) balls. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, I mean, I've been following all the cases like a hawk. And just the fact, like, look, just the fact that they got his his CFO, Alan Weisselberg, to plead guilty. Yeah. And then testify uh, against the Trump organization. That yeah, you could but be again, at the, the, he's the, not the, flipping on Trump. He's not. He explicitly okay. in his deal was like, I'm not going to say anything to implicate the Trump or his family. But if the Trump organization gets the death penalty, I mean, fuck, in Trump's mind, you might as well put him in jail at that point, right? I mean... He's going to be like, fuck, fuck, this is my business. Well, and here's the other thing. Like, if he declares for president, then that ups the ante again in terms of some sort of criminal prosecution. I don't have... I'm much less, uh, I guess, bullish than you on the New York investigations. I think in terms of, like, litigation... Even the civil suit? The civil suit, that's different, but that's not him ending up in prison. Um, I know, but the criminal investigation up there kind of petered out. They had they brought in, you know, a new guy got elected. He came into the office. Their prosecutors resigned because they were like, there's you know, this isn't really going. But you don't think that's a big deal if his business gets the corporate death penalty? Not I mean, that's a big deal, but it doesn't mean that he's going to be criminally indicted and end up in prison. Right. Well, no, I mean, I kind of moved past that conversation. Oh, okay. I was just asking. I thought we were still talking about no, the No, 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 no. I mean, a civil case is a civil case. By definition, you're not going to prison. Yeah. But I'm just asking. I just, I'm just saying that would be like kind of amazing, wouldn't it? Like be, a former president, your whole business is viewed as fraudulent and it gets the corporate death penalty. Yeah, that would definitely like, be a big deal. And in a world that made sense, that would be enough for him not to win the Republican nomination. But <laughs> I don't think that this would world, lead to that. <laughs> this world does not make sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I am very persuaded of the idea that first base, all these investigations, no matter what they found, no matter what the fake news media said about him or the deep state came after him, it would only endear him to them more. And I think he would be, from a political strategic standpoint, I think he would be wise to announce soon, even as I think for <laughs> overall for the Republican Party, that would be a so disaster. Bad. The Democrats would win in the midterms if, they, if he did that. They would just win. It wouldn't even be like, oh, we didn't lose that badly. It'd be like, we picked up seats. Which would be crazy. It would be insane. Given how unpopular Biden is, given how bad the economy is, given history, if they managed to not only like hold on, but pick up seats, that would be, that would be (laughs) quite remarkable. If Trump launches before the midterms, hear me now, quote me later, Democrats are going to pick up seats. In the House and the Senate? No, 
No, don't go too far. <laughs> okay. Okay. I it, just want to be clear for, for and, posterity here. Um, they, they'll, I think they will hold the Senate if Trump announces before the midterms. Yeah. They're going to hold the Senate. I think I agree with that. The House, I think it, it's, it's a real uphill climb in the House. I haven't really seen numbers on the House, so I can't really make a prediction on that front. Nate Silver gives Democrats like a 20% chance of holding the of House. Of holding the House? Right now. Wow. Yeah. And that's right now with the favorable situation that they're currently in. Yeah. But, you know, the gerrymandering is tough. There. Like, I don't know. I think the House is going to be very tough. But the Senate is already in reach. The Senate, they already are favored to hold on to. I don't know if you saw. We could wrap up. I know we're going on and on here. But Fetterman is now a 70% chance to win over Crudite. Wigner's <laughs> man. <laughs> then that Crudite Oz. <laughs> That dude Who is, literally can't give a straight answer about how many houses he has. Um, uh, legitimately, do you know that's the first word he said when he was yeah. asked that question? Legitimately, um, two. If you Legit- answer with the word legitimately, <laughs> how many houses do you have? Legitimately, uh, two. That's like what? <laughs> I, how many I love this guy. I'm enjoying his campaign so much. I mean, it's guy, incredible to watch. A guy who's been on TV as long as he has, you would think he would have more natural charisma. He's got none. He's got none. And the campaign is so stupid. Everything about it. Every move he makes, I'm like, you just made the wrong move. Every Everyone. You would think if it was just like random chance, <laughs> half the time, he would make the right move. He never does. But literally in every instance, it's like, I'm going to do exactly the wrong thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now, I don't know if you saw that. You probably did see the poll. Mastriano's down on Shapiro. That's yeah. the governor's race in Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, Mastriano is a psycho. But he was leading not that long ago. He, I remember you were uh, telling me about no, it. No, he wasn't leading. He was close. Oh, he's close. Okay. And yeah, the thing was, you're looking like he is more psycho in his positions than Dr. Oz is, who managed to not say things that were too wild during the Republican primary, like Mastriano. He came up in the January 6th hearings right. because he was integral to the fake electors plot in oh. Pennsylvania. He was at the Capitol on January 6th. I mean, this guy is all in. And then on abortion, he's fringe. I mean, just on Look. everything, he's out there. And he would have the ability to pick his own secretary of state. So like, it's a, it is an actual real threat to democracy, this guy getting elected governor. And he was running a closer race than uh, Oz was, in spite of the fact television celebrity, you think that he would have some charismatic ability to perform decently, but he just doesn't. Anyway, Anyway, why can't you guys... Why can't you guys love us as much as Trump's base loves him? That's my question for you. Love us as Why? much as Dr. Oz loves crudite. If loves I, dipping <laughs> asparagus in salsa. I want it to be, so if I get caught, like, publicly defecating in the middle of the street while jerking off, all of you, like, like me more. I want there to be, like, a 10% increase in my polls if something like that happens. I mean, Trump's got, he's got it made in that sense, right? Like, oh, he's got he that base that's, like, literally, yeah, whatever. He said, I could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and I wouldn't lose anybody. It was one of the most accurate things he said. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not really accurate because he does lose independence. He does lose moderates, you know, but, but in terms his, of his base, people. yeah, his base, they're not going anywhere. So anyway, my, uh, this is a long way of me saying, for the love of God, pay $5 a month on Substack and hook us up, okay? <laughs> pay $5 a month, get the video of the show, get it a day early. I promise you, you'll enjoy it. Um, for those of you who don't want to do that, which should be none of you, but for those of you who don't want to do that, you can listen to the show for free, of course. The audio podcast drops a day later. Either way, though, either way, Sign up on Substack for that. And now this is a dual podcast for you. You got your own little podcast situation going on. No Look big at, deal, Look bro, at you. whatever. Look at you. No big deal at all. So anyway, <laughs> no, what she's talking about, of course, is that now the Kyle Kalinske show is available uh, on 
the Kyle Kalinske show. It's not under secular talk. It's important. It's under the Kyle Kalinske show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, where all the various podcast platforms. So anyway, people enjoy, uh, you know, watching my show on YouTube. If you're not really a YouTube person, you're more of a podcast person, you could check it out that way. But anyway, either way, uh, we love you guys, the ones who support us on Substack. The other ones, we love you slightly less, but we still love you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk to you guys next week. See y'all next week. <laughs>